0: Welcome to week number one in our brand new series that we're calling Skeptics Welcome. And and, uh, before we jump into the message today that I'm real excited about, we wanna take a little bit of time once again and and just to pray about a situation in Ukraine as we are in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, we, we really want that to be in the forefront of everything that we do during this 21 days. Of course, you can pray about anything, anyone, any situation you want, but we're asking the church family, particularly to focus uh, on the the war there in Ukraine. So would you bow your heads with me right now and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we just lift up the whole situation for you right now. We ask for your wisdom, Lord, and your revelation and your understanding for those that are involved in the decision-making process uh, with this war. Lord, we pray that Christians in Ukraine would stand firm on the Word of God by faith and know that their hope is in Jesus Christ and secure no matter what is going on around them. Lord, we pray for the preservation of life and, and Lord, for the attacking force there. We pray, Lord, that the strategy would be confused, that the communication, Lord, would break down, that there would, Lord, just really be a a demotivating uh, factor that would come on the enemy soldiers, Lord, and, and, and Lord, that their tactics and, and all those things would just fail. Their supply lines, Lord, would be strained and dried up so that there would be a ceasefire and the preservation of human life. God, we trust you. We look to you, God, and, and Father, we, we pray that you would make a way where there seems like there is no way. and We lift up people of Ukraine in Jesus name amen amen well thank you so much for being a part of that Valley family and and uh, if you've been following our social media even we've been able to get some reports out that God is really doing some some pretty amazing things uh, there in Ukraine and with the people of Ukraine and, and what's happening there. And, and if you haven't followed us before, I encourage you to do that on, on Valley Social Media, Facebook, and Instagram as well. But we're, we're kicking off this series now called Skeptics Welcome, and really that's kind of like the heartbeat behind our church family. You don't have to believe in Jesus Christ to come and, and really explore the Christian faith. Uh, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We try not to use, a lot of churches you go in and they use all this kind of language, insider language, that unless you, you know, were born in the church and have read the Bible cover to cover several times, you have no idea what those words mean. Uh, We we try to break it down, use common language to communicate eternal truths and eternal values. And I know there's a lot of skepticism out there uh, in our community, in our nation, in the world today, because you know, obviously we're aware of different abuses that have happened in the Christian church and those that name Jesus Christ as Lord say they're Christians but seem like act very differently. Uh, but one of the things I think that we're going to find in this series that's really pretty amazing is the the answer to the question, and this is the basic fundamental question that we want to answer in this series, is is this. Do people who follow Jesus Christ make this world a better place or a worse place? Historically and even today, do people who follow Christ, in other words, has Christianity had a negative impact on the world or a positive impact on the world based on analysis and facts, not just feelings. Now we all have feelings, but what we're going to see in this series, and I hope you'll, you'll make plans to, to catch all of these messages, is the facts are really unbelievably clear in terms of answering that question. Do followers of Christ make this world a better place or a worse place? What has the teaching, what has the impact of Jesus' teachings had on humanity? Just some of the questions that we're gonna be answering. Not just of Christianity, not just if, is Christianity true or not, but, but is Christianity really good? We believe, obviously, that Christianity is true, that, that God's word is true, that Jesus was a actual, he was who he said he was, the son of God. He was fully man and fully God, and he came to live a sinless life and, and die a sacrificial death for you and for me and rose again from the dead. but but also the impact of his life and his followers. What has that impact really been around the world throughout history? Does the Christian faith lead to progress and human flourishing, or does it, can I put it this way, does it lead to oppression and and, uh, all kinds of abuse? History is very clear. There's like no doubt about it. And that's what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks. In fact, this is really based on, I want to thank uh, uh, Liquid Church and Pastor Tim Lucas that that gave us these materials for this series. Uh, And 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 it's really based on uh, this book by John Dickerson called Skeptic Jesus. And I I highly recommend you pick it up. In fact, in the sermon notes uh, on our website for this week, you can just click on that button, take you right over to Amazon. You can pick this up. But, But it's very interesting. This book, it's a journalist explores the credibility and the impact of Christianity. In other words, not using the Bible, but just the historical evidence answering that question. And you know, especially I think about in this series, the millennials, you know that you are really the justice generation, but what we're going to find over these weeks is this, the whole concept of justice is rooted in Scripture, in the Bible, and a lot of this has been kind of forsaken, it's been pushed aside, you've heard about justice, but the Christian element has been taken out of it, and I think we need to ask ourselves why, because history is very complete. The champions of justice, next week we're gonna talk about racial justice, specifically. The champions of justice have always been Christians on the planet, not agnostics, not atheists, not some other religion, it's been Christians that have really been the catalysts for speaking out against injustice historically. And so let me, here's a little quote from the book here by John Dickerson, Uh, John Dickerson put it this way, he said, When it comes to Christianity, my 10-year investigation has convinced me that my generation of Americans, millennials, born in the 1980s and 1990s, has been largely denied the truth about Christianity's influence and record on social justice. We have been told the negative moments in Christian history and the positive moments from other world belief systems. Now think about that for just a minute and I think you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why has there been an agenda to strip away the Christian roots of the justice movement and told about all different other faiths and religions, but not Christianity? And I think this is going to be very educational, this series, very historical. It's going to be a different kind of series, really, that I really encourage you to share with your friends, invite your friends, perhaps they're unbelievers, unchurched. This would be a perfect message series for them. Does Christianity lead to bigotry and backward thinking as our culture has communicated so often, especially to the millennial generation? Does it move people to self-protection and abuse of power or does it motivate people to a life of sacrificial service to those in need? That's a big question. And I hope, I'm confident we will answer that question in this series. Today we're gonna talk about Jesus, history, and human flourishing. Next week, and then in the coming weeks, we're gonna be talking about Jesus' justice and racial equality, and Jesus' faith and science. Real excited about that one. Can those two coexist, faith and science, at the same time? And then Jesus, you, and experiential evidence. And if you had to kinda like categorize what this message series is about, uh, the word is apologetics. Apologetics, and that word apologetics literally means an intellectual defense of the reasonable truth of spiritual beliefs and doctrines. So this is really kind of a apologetic uh, message series, just answering these questions. In John chapter 14, verse 6, and of course, we're Christians, so we do go to the Bible. We're going to go to it, uh, you know, in this series as well, but a lot of excuses evidence we're going to be bringing in from other sources outside of the Bible to answer these questions because maybe you're a searcher, you're a seeker, you don't believe the Bible, uh, there's a lot of external evidence that actually will answer these questions for us as well. But in John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus made this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive statement. And here's the thing that we're going to learn, you know, right now in the United States, I mean the world rather, uh, population of the world is something like 7 billion people in the world today, 2.3 billion claim Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, think about that for just a minute. One third of all humanity on the planet right now sincerely believe the claims of Jesus Christ that he was without sin, that he was fully man, he was fully God, that he lived a sinless life. He died as a substitute for the sins of humanity, and he laid his life down, and he rose from the dead three days later. One third of every human, of the population of the planet, believe that today. And we're going to go a lot deeper into that. But that makes Christianity think about this that makes Christianity the largest social movement in human history. And the big question, I think, is why would this not be acknowledged when we're taught about human history? Maybe there's an anti God, anti Christ bias in our education system. When the Christian faith is by far the largest social movement in human history ever. And yet so many of us don't really know anything about it. We know about all kinds of other history, but not the history of Christianity. There's so much evidence outside the Bible. We are gonna look at the Bible some, but we're gonna look at the outside evidence as well. In fact, there are 15 ancient writers who wrote in detail about Jesus and his ancient followers. 15 that were not christians that, that that had nothing to do with the writing of scripture some of them were historians for the roman empire were actually anti jesus but but let me give you a couple examples of these uh, first of all flavius josephus who was a historian at the time uh, of the the writing of the, the new testament uh, he he had this to say At this time, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. And he went on and he said, they reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning who the prophets have recounted wonders. That was Flavius Josephus. And by the way, fascinating to read his account of history uh, that you can pick up on Amazon, Josephus, uh, you know, anytime as well. And, and, and so this is not biblical, this is not even Christian, but this is another uh, actual writer that is actually extra biblical, that is actually talking about the evidence of Jesus was an actual person, no question about that, lived, died, immediately, it wasn't hundreds of years, thousands of years later, immediately his followers, he's resurrected from the dead. And and, and here's another example. Uh, Actually, Tacticus, uh, another historian as well, look at what he said about the Christian faith and Jesus. Talking about Nero Caesar. Nero fastened guilt and affliction and afflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. They, They were hated because they said there's only one God and that's Jesus Christ. Christus, the ancient way of saying Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty of crucifixion. That's Jesus was crucified. During the reign of Tiberius, at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and the most mischievous superstition, the belief that Jesus was God, thus checked for a moment, but again broke out, not only in Judea, but even in Rome. So here's another historian that's talking about the rapid spread of the Christian faith after his followers, Jesus' followers, said he not only was crucified, but he actually rose from the dead as well. Think about this for just a minute. Again, these are facts. More, there are more historical documents that, that support that who Jesus Christ was, his life, and, and, and what the Bible actually says. than than some of the, the great philosophers that we quote all the time. More historical documents that Jesus was, in fact, a historical figure. Crucified, Pilate, all of those things. Just like two samples right there. But one of the things that to me is more inspiring than even looking at the historical documentation is the lives that were changed because of Jesus Christ. That's what's so compelling. In fact, Many of you, just an example, many of you probably know the historical figure around the time of the Civil War, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was a great abolitionist. He had actually been a slave, experienced horrific physical and racial abuse, but instead he channeled that anger to fight for human rights of slaves and to bring freedom to millions of people. And again, you probably have heard and probably learned about Frederick Douglass in, in history class in school. But again, what you were deprived of is what motivated Frederick Douglass. It wasn't just that he saw the suffering of slaves, but it was actually his faith in Jesus Christ is what motivated him to be an abolitionist. The person of Jesus Christ was the catalyst for Frederick Douglass's work and the abolition of slavery. Look, if, if you read his biography, uh, look, look at this quote from Frederick Douglass, actually autobiography from Frederick Douglass. He says, in my loneliness and destitution, I longed for someone to whom I could go as to a father, a protector. The preaching of a white Methodist minister named Hanson was the means of causing me to feel that in God I had such a friend. I consulted a good colored man named Charles Lawson, and in tones of holy affection, he told me to pray and to, quote, cast all my cares upon God. Frederick Douglass went on and he said, this I sought to do, and, th- and though for weeks I was a poor, broken-hearted mourner traveling through doubts and fears, I finally found my burden lightened and my heart relieved. Listen to this, I loved all mankind Slaveholders not accepted, though I abhorred slavery more than ever. And he continued to go on and say, I saw the world in a new light, and my great concern was to have everybody converted. The good old man told me that the Lord had great work for me to do. I must prepare to do it. Those are the actual words of Frederick Douglass, the abolitionist, from his autobiography. Major, had, major catalyst had an influence not only in the northern part of the United States on Abraham Lincoln himself. You probably know his name, but you don't know, you weren't told what his motivation was. It was Jesus Christ and the salvation of everyone and that he hated no one, not even the slaveholder, not even the slave masters. He wouldn't allow that into his heart. It's powerful, changed life. You know, Jesus promised in Luke chapter four, verse 18, when about his ministry. He said, this is what my his ministry was gonna be, and, and this is what literally was gonna be the ripple effect of his ministry. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. And it was that statement, freedom to the prisoners, that motivated Frederick Douglass as an abolitionist. Freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. What we're talking about here is primary evidence. Primary evidence that the Christian faith has done good for humanity you you know you're you're entitled to your own feelings every one of us has feelings but you're not entitled to your own facts facts are facts facts are indisputable these this is what's called primary evidence when you look at what Frederick Douglass has done, motivated by the love of Jesus Christ for his fellow man black and white slave and free slave holder and slave himself primary evidence just an example You know, one time people came to Jesus, it was John the Baptist's disciples actually, and they said, you know, are you really the one? John the Baptist is wondering, are you really the one? And in Matthew chapter 11, verse five, he said, go tell John this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. There was a woman in the 1800s, a Christian woman, her, her name was Mary Mose, and, and she loved Jesus Christ, and these words right here so motivated her, at the time in the 1800s, doctors only treated wealthy people, and there was no such thing really as hospitals at all. And, and, and she had this idea, based on that scripture, Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, she had an idea to, to have a place where the poor could be cared for medically as well, even though they couldn't afford it. And, and it was after a great uh, hurricane, tornado actually had hit Rochester, Minnesota, and she went to a doctor, a young doctor, and said, would you be willing to help, if I got people that are wealthy to subsidize, to to pay for, would you be willing to give some of your time to help people that can't pay you bills, can't pay the doctor bills, the poor, and to help them medically? That young doctor said, yes, I'll I'll do that because there were 37 people that had been killed uh, as a result of the storms there, the tornadoes there in Minnesota, Rochester, Minnesota. Do you know what the name of that doctor was that Mary Mose went to? Dr. William Mayo. He's the founder of the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. It wasn't his idea. History tells us it was Mary Mose's idea because she loved Jesus Christ. She's actually Catholic, Sister Mary. Sister Mary Mose. And that was the beginning of. Of the Mayo Clinic, one of the most famous hospitals and clinics in the United States to this day. See, God uses ordinary people who devote their lives to Jesus Christ to do extraordinary good. He does it over and over and over again. And as Mary Mose responded when 37 people lost their lives as a result of a tornado in Minnesota, You know what, I I don't know what tornado you're experiencing today in your life, but I do know this, that, that just like God took that awful crisis, that tornado and 37 people lost their lives, he can turn it around for good to help, just like he did Mary Mo's life, hundreds of thousands of people for good because she loved Jesus Christ. And she saw a need and said, we need to do something about this. Because Jesus said, this is what his ministry is about. This is what my Lord and Savior is really all about. John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus put it this way. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with my Father, what are greater works? Even multiplied more, even more works, even more good for humanity than Jesus was able to do in his life on the planet because of the love of Jesus Christ and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, living in our lives, multiplied times over more good than even Jesus did in his life, he said, "His followers, anyone who believes in him, that's going to be the byproduct of their life." Have you ever wondered why so many hospitals have Christian names, Saint Luke's, Saint Jude's, Saint Mary's? Why why, why aren't they named at Karl Marx Hospital? Why aren't they named Confucius Hospital or Muhammad Hospital? I'm I'm not being pejorative here. These, these are just questions I think that that need to be asked. Why so many hospitals named after Christians? Did you know in Jesus' day, the life expectancy was about 30 to 40 years? Today, it's almost double that, somewhere between 70 to 80 years. The beginning, that all began in the second century when Christ's followers began to care for outcasts in the society. In in Roman culture and society, if a child was born, uh, could I put it this way, with special needs, that, that's the way we say today, special needs. That it was perfectly legal for a parent, mother, or the father to simply take that child and to throw it in the river, the infant, rather than to have to care for it. And it wasn't considered murder or anything like that, homicide, none of that. Christians would literally go and retrieve the child, raise the child as if it were their own. That was Christians that did that. And that was the start of this whole idea of compassion on the outcasts of culture and those that are outcasts of society. Ripple down through history, look at some more primary evidence of Christianity. This is very interesting. Check this out. The top 10 hospitals in America and the founders of those hospitals the top 10 hospitals in America, and look at the founder's education and religion. Nine out of 10 of them were Christians, with only one exception. He was Jewish, but he was Christian educated. Now, now let me just say this. Maybe, uh, God forbid, but, but if you get a diagnose, diagnosis, uh, your spouse gets a diagnosis, uh, you get a diagnosis, or your child gets an awful diagnosis, you wanna take them to one of those 10 Hospitals, one of those 10 hospitals, it doesn't matter if you're an agnostic, an atheist, a Muslim. It doesn't matter what your religion, what your faith is. You want to take them to one of those hospitals to get the best treatment they can possibly get that was started by a Christian, that was founded by a Christian who had conviction that we need to help others. Again, primary evidence right there. Christianity, not perfect, because no social movement is perfect. There, there's abuses in every social movement, every situation, but by far overwhelming amount of evidence that Christianity has been incredibly good for humanity. You probably have heard of Johns Hopkins University or John Hopkins Hospital. Uh, what you may not know, again, the history of John Hopkins is that he was a Quaker Christian who left his family fortune to create a hospital to help former slaves because they had no money. That's Johns Hopkins. Not only that, he split his fortune in two ways to create a university, Johns Hopkins University, and also the first research hospital based on Christian principles. The motto of Johns Hopkins is this, the truth shall set you free. The very words of Jesus Christ itself. You can see that in the seal of Johns Hopkins. Again, primary evidence. And it's a quote from Jesus Christ himself in John chapter 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The motto of Johns Hopkins quoting the words of Jesus Christ. Our generation has been taught to believe that Christianity is bad for society. But the overwhelming factual evidence, primary evidence in history is the complete opposite of that. And so I guess the big question is, why would we be taught something that's completely untrue? Because there is, that is not the evidence of history. Christians are really, if you, if you want to think about it this way, we're... we're uh, we're keystone species. What's a keystone species? Keystone species is a species on which other species in an ecosystem largely depend such that if they were removed, the ecosystem would change drastically. Example in nature of a keystone species are like the African elephant, the beaver, the bee, the grizzly bear, the hummingbird. In other words, the ecosystems that they're in are actually so dependent upon them, even though they don't necessarily acknowledge it, but all that has to happen is you take the hummingbird out and the ecosystem almost collapses. That's what Christians really are when you think about it. That, that, that so many so much of humanity today, in fact, all of humanity today feels the ripple effect of the goodness of Christians and the work that Christians have done down through the last 2,000 years continuing on today. That if you just remove the Christians from it and what Christians have done, the impact, it would, the whole thing would just implode. That's the primary evidence. That's the factual evidence when you look at history. We really, as Christians, are the keystone species, if you will. See, wherever Christians take root, human flourishing follows. Wherever you find Christians, you find human flourishing. That's a fact. And they're at the forefront of social movements. You find over and over and over Christians. Let me give you a few examples. This is what we're gonna be looking at uh, over the next few weeks in terms of hospitals. We talked about that today. Next week, we're ending slavery. Most all of the, the major abolitionists, they were all Christians. Medicine, breakthrough in medicines. Universities, a number of the uh, Ivy League universities were founded, their founders were Christian, and they were founded to be Christian universities on the Scripture, science, a scientific revolution as well. Christians at the heart of it. And of course, education for all. The whole concept even of education for anyone, even if they're poor, it was Christians who had that idea. For, for hundreds, thousands of years, it was just the uh, wealthy elite that were educated. And that's really up until about 300 years ago. Most people couldn't even read till about 300 years ago. What really started in the Reformation, when John uh, I'm sorry, when Martin Luther translated the Bible into the common language, German language, and it began to be printed easily because of uh, Gutenberg printing press, new invention that they realized people need to be able to read God's Word. So there was an emphasis on literacy. And so Christians began to teach people how to read, that could not even read. This really began to, to snowball about 300 years ago. Think about it for just a minute. One of the primary purposes of education when the whole education system and structure was developed was so that people could read God's Word. The whole reason. Primary evidence. So that now we can read books, books, totally contradict God. That, that, that convince people there is no God. That, that teach people false religions and, and, and false belief systems. But what started behind all of it was Christians desire to do good. So that all people could read. Primary evidence. See... If you're intellectually honest, you can see the indisputable fact that Christianity has been incredibly good for humanity. Think about this for just a minute. This month, March, March is uh, Women's History Month. Let's talk about women's freedom. Freedom, women's rights throughout the globe. Look at this next uh, Graphic, 10 best nations for women's rights in the world today. This is ranked by World Economic Forum. Look at the percentage of the 10 best countries for women to live in, in terms of their rights and their freedom. Look at the percentage of how many of those are overwhelmingly Christian nations. That isn't some random, you know, fact There is a cause and effect that the 10 nations on the planet today where women have more freedom and more rights than any other nations on the planet, overwhelmingly Christian, Christian. Now in contrast to that, look at the nations, 10 nations where women are more oppressed today than any other nations on the planet also ranked by the World Economic Forum, and look at the percentage of the population that's Christian. Most every one of those nations, it is illegal to be a Christian. And look at what happens to women when when Christianity is swept away, taken away, outlawed. Women are abused and women are neglected. Some of those nations actually also, to this day, practice genital mutilation on women. That's what you get when you pull Jesus out. That's what you get when you, when you rid a culture and a society of the Christian faith. And, and again, this isn't Christian resources that are, that are documenting this. This is outside evidence. Christians overwhelmingly, primary evidence, have and continue to do incredible good around this world. Incredible good. Back to uh, social movement leaders. Uh, Amazing when you think about that. If we go back to this slide, again, social movement in hospitals for everyone, not just the wealthy, for those that are poor as well. It wasn't communists, it wasn't socialists, it wasn't Marxists, it wasn't any of those other faiths. It was Christians, the whole concept of Hospital, medical care for those who can't afford it. Christians providing that. Also, ending slavery and medicine and university, scientific uh, revolution and education for all. That, that wasn't other faiths, that wasn't agnostics or atheists that, that were really the, the motivators, the catalysts in those social movements. It was Christians at the heart. That's historical, immutable facts. history now we're not taught that in our education system but but and and probably you you might not have ever heard that before but that's the facts that's the reality wherever Christians take root human flourishing follows think about it for just a minute what are the chances that the words of a penniless preacher from know-nothing Nazareth Would launch a movement that would sweep human history for thousands of years greater than any other movement humanity has ever seen. What's the chances of that? That's exactly what happened with Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus put it this way just before, the Bible tells us just before he ascended to our heavenly Father, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. He said this to his followers in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Think about it, when when Jesus said these words and then he rose and ascended, went to heaven, the the best estimates were that that there were probably only about 500 followers that Jesus had at that time that he spoke these words to, that heard these words initially. And and look at this, Christianity worldwide in, in about 33 A.D., Uh, You'll see the the key there, percentage of population Christians. uh, And you're like, well, that just looks like it's all white. No, there's actually, if you look here, there's a little tiny, tiny blue dot right there. That is Israel. That tiny blue dot is the 500 Christians, thereabouts, 500 followers of Jesus Christ in 33 A.D., And now, let let me show you in 2020, according to Pew Research Center, this is Christianity worldwide today. Look at that. Amazing. Absolutely shocking. And the, the, the areas of the globe that are white or very, very light, the reason for that is most of those areas, it's elite. Christianity is outlawed. But there still is a huge amount of underground Christians, underground church, but we don't have the exact number for that. And so look at that representation. Overwhelming. Jesus, his words, to 500 a penniless preacher from know-nothing Nazareth. And look 2,000 years later. Absolutely remarkable when you think about it. And I heard this statistic recently that, that uh, Church Grow the Experts uh, believe by 2030 there will be more Christians in China than Christians in the United States. Wow, by 2030. That, that for the most part, with just a few little exceptions of certain denominations, very small, uh, that, that evangelical Christianity, for the most part, Pentecostal, charismatic is, is outlawed. But there's groundswell of house churches, underground churches in China so much so that by 2030, there'll be more Christians in the nation of China than in the United States of America. Mind-blowing to think about. Again, God uses ordinary people who devote their lives to Jesus Christ to do extraordinary good in this world. Now, we're, we're, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting with a real focus on Ukraine, and, and so in, in response to this message, uh, what, what I wanna do is we're actually making it available that you can give to help those that are in the middle of war-torn Ukraine right now. I have two friends in ministry that, that have the abilities to get funds to refugees and get funds to pastors in the Ukraine right now. And so starting today through March 21st, the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, you can give to spread hope. Normally, that uh, making that account or giving uh, through to our spread hope account goes to local outreaches, but from now till the 21st of March we're going to make it go to Ukraine and Ukraine relief and so you see the web address right there valleyny.cc backslash give and you can make a one-time contribution there to spread hope and we will give that to one of those two organizations uh, and make sure and one of them in particular real excited about it, it's going to go to Pastor Anatoly Gavriluk in Kiev Ukraine our dear friend within 24 hours we can get that to him. To, to help. There's, there's so much misery, so much pain, so much heartache, uh, and, and we can help. That's what we do. That's what Christians have always done, to do good for our fellow man. So this is our time. This is an opportunity that we have. I want to invite you back next week as we talk about Jesus, justice, and racial equality and we look at the real history between, behind uh, the racial equality movement, it was Christians, racial justice. Right now, I just wanna ask you, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our eyes being opened, so many of us, Lord, realizing that not only did Jesus say that we would make a difference, Lord, that your people have made a difference for good, And God, as we we just kick off this series this, this week, God, I pray that you'd be with us through this series, that we would, as your followers, Lord, embrace the rich, deep, historical facts of our heritage as Christians. And Lord, more than just our heritage, Lord, that we today would leave a lasting legacy for those who come behind us, that they would find that we were faithful in our generation to love the outcast, those on the outskirts, and those with great need in our community, in our nation, and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.